you're listening to Time to Talk, I'm Tim Power. Well, if you're here, you're probably a big fan of the Golden Girls. And as a fan of the Golden Girls, there's almost no question that you are a huge fan of one particular episode, Blanche's Little Girl. It's an absolute fan favourite. It's very inappropriate in this day and age, isn't it? Every fat joke in the world is crammed into a 23-minute episode or thereabouts. And of course, what makes the episode fantastic is the writing and the performances. And we are about to talk to Sean Sheps, who played Blanche's daughter, Becky, the former model who turns up on the doorstep of the Miami home looking larger than she had the last time her mother saw her. And she's also eventually joined by a nasty boyfriend who we all love to hate. Isn't he awful? I know the actor's meant to be some nice guy. I just can't believe it. He's an awful, awful little man. So settle in, enjoy our chat with Sean. Please leave us some feedback too. We love getting your audio messages. Just take out that phone, press record, record us a couple of minutes and send it to time to talk Australia at outlook.com. Sean would love to hear your feedback too. Now, although Sean is an absolute bundle of joy, we had to start by talking about the Israeli-Hamas conflict. As a Jewish person, Sean is heartbroken by the conflict and is feeling the repercussions all the way over in the United States. Hey, you were saying in text that it's a really hard time to be a Jewish person at the moment on this planet Earth. Yeah, it is. Yeah, tell me about that. You're obviously feeling feeling a lot of passion, a lot of concern. Um, well... Uh, Anti-Semitism is up. Look, I feel for the Palestinians that are citizens that are, you know, in this war. But Hamas walked into a sovereign nation and killed families and children and raped people. And, you know, they started a war. How do you not expect a country like Israel that is born from a Holocaust to um, not come after you? So, you know, I made a decision on the 7th of October because um, my dad passed, but when he passed, I was holding a Jewish star, and I'm not religious, between my hand and my dad's hand, and I was butchering some Jewish prayers, and he passed. And I wear it now, all the time. First of all, because I feel like he's with me, and second of all, because I feel like I have to represent. You were close to your dad? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I was doing uh, postings on Instagram But my sister was like, oh, my God, Sean, stop doing that. That's a valley accent. (laughs) But why? Is she concerned that there's repercussions for you? Yeah, she is. This conflict, has it rippled on to, you know, the Jewish community in the United States in the sense of anti-Jewish sentiment? Yeah, it has. And you feel it. Yeah, I do. I mean, you know, these 
kids in universities are, you know, they are having pro-Palestinian marches mm. and Israel's the bad guy and Palestine's, Palestine is the un- underdog, but, and Israel stole land from Palestine, but that's not how it happened. I, this is just my opinion. It's probably not popular. But when the Jews got to Israel, they set it up to be a proper city. And the Palestinians voted for Hamas as a government. Who wouldn't, they don't care about the Palestinians. They only care about killing Jews. That's what they care about. As a creator, though, you rely on humor a lot. It's a theme throughout your work, isn't it, Sean? Humor, comedy, working with people who are in comedy. Is it getting harder and harder to maintain a sense of humor given the world we're in at the moment? No, because if you don't have gallows humor, then you're going to, like, get really depressed. (laughs) (laughs) So I've always had gallows humor about society, my family, just everything, you know? And sometimes the comedy is just straight-out comedy, and sometimes the comedy is dark comedy. And I would like to say, in a mercenary moment, I am trying to get a hold of Catherine McMillan, who owns the rights to an Australian show that is brilliant, that is called Aftertaste. And if anyone knows Catherine or knows of her or is in her family, please ask her to call Jeff in Los Angeles. Thank you. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll ask around for you. Catherine McMillan, who wrote Aftertaste, is that right? No, she has the rights. Oh, she has the rights to it. I and you want to produce it. it. No, I want to bring it over here and make it an American show. Really? For an American audience, yeah. Come on, Catherine, wherever you are and whoever you are, get in touch. Yeah, come on, Catherine, let's go. Let's do this thing. I don't think she understands how passionate I am about this. There's Catherine now. There's Catherine. Hello, She's listening. Hello. (laughs) Give us those rights. Sorry, I didn't turn my phone off. You, we're here to talk about uh, your work in the entertainment industry, Sean, and in particular, the listeners of this podcast know that we're big fans of the Golden Girls. But can I tell you something that's completely unrelated before we go any further? I need to sure. tell someone. Over sure. here at 7 a.m., so you just happen to be the poor sucker who I'm the, the first person I'm talking to for the day. <laughs> well, yesterday, <coughs> uh, landed in a little shop, and I don't even know how, and this will be familiar to nearly everyone, but I had no idea. I walked in and they're pointing to a bath and they're telling me to get in the bath. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? And then when you finish, when the bubbles go off, put on that robe and come out here. And I'm, this is not familiar territory to me at all. Anyway, they took my feet eventually and they exfoliated it with some, I don't know, a concrete it felt like. It wasn't particularly pleasant. But as I'm talking to you, and I'm sorry if this is too much information, I can't stop touching my feet. I've never had such soft feet in my whole life. Well, It's beautiful. Jameson, you didn't go to a store. You went to a spa. I, the word was in the title. It was called a spa, yes, but I didn't know. Well, <laughs> it sounds really silly, but I didn't know it meant there was a spa in there. 
<laughs> there literally was a spa, like a jacuzzi. That's what I got in. I haven't I had mean, a jacuzzi since I was a child. Got in a jacuzzi. I mean, or else they were trying to kidnap you. I, uh, <laughs> getting you at your most vulnerable point. No, you were in a spa. Yeah, I was, and I was really like they—they they just thought I was very strange because every time they asked me to move to the left or move to the right or come into this room or move into that room, I was like, "Really? Like, are you sure that in there?" But and they brought me <laughs> little fruit and they brought me a like a, a um, champagne. It was quite exciting. I just didn't know what I was up for, so I was very confused, especially when the first thing they ask you to do is take off all your clothes and get in the bath. Yeah, like, exactly. Bath? Well, what are you talking about? Did they put hot wax on your feet and wrap it up in um, uh, paper? Oh God, no! What the hell is that? That sounds oh, awful. It's just, no, it's not. Hot wax and they wrap it in paper. It's not that hot. <laughs> what the devil are you talking about? They brought baggies. They wrap it in baggies. No. But it's, not, it's not that hot. It just makes you <laughs> super, super soft. Sounds like somebody's making a roast. Oh, my goodness. No. <laughs> Take us back, Sean. I know that you've had, like, you were a child actor. You were in the Brady Bunch. Uh, you were in this episode that a lot of fans like me like. I think it was the one, wasn't it, where Bobby was the hall monitor? Uh, yeah. Brady Bunch fans love that episode. What was your part in the Brady Bunch? Well, I walked on the set and I was stunned that it was a set and not a house. <laughs> I was like, what? And I'm like, where's the house? To my, you know nine-year-old self uh it was it was pretty crushing <laughs> because you've been watching the tv show had you of course yeah i was right in the demographic there i think you were on series three you had to get quite outraged i think you had to get quite upset i as was part of your really character. bummed out i was in shock i didn't understand where was the house where was the house such a discipline, like finding out that the tooth fairy or Santa Claus isn't real. Exactly, exactly. Oh, you poor thing. Did you meet the whole cast? Mm. No, I just work with, uh, I believe I just work with a kid who played Bobby, but such a nice guy. And then we have this thing here. It's called the Hollywood Parade. Mm -hmm. And it's basically cars driving down Hollywood and a parade before like Christmas. And so he was going to be in it and asked if I wanted to be in it with him. And I did. And it was, it's just a once in a lifetime thing to be sitting next to the star of Brady Bunch, waving at people that have no idea who you are. <laughs> is that Cindy? Was that Cindy? Yeah. Marcia, Marcia, Marcia. <laughs> and I know you've had an extensive career, but do is it fair to say that most people recognize you and ask you about that one singular episode of The Golden Girls? Is that what you're most recognized for? And Terminator. Of course. Pretty equally. Now, let's not say that I go into a restaurant or a club and people, you know, gather around me 
you know, it's sort of random. I was in a um, uh, coffee shop once and I was at a booth and I was talking to my friend and this guy turned around and he said, he was behind me. And he said, were you on the Golden Girls? <laughs> and I said, yeah. What, what, how could you? He said, your voice. I could tell by your voice. And I was like, whoa, cool. You do have a great distinctive voice. I reckon I could do that if I met you out and about and heard you ordering, you know, a large latte, cappuccino, frate, frappe, whatever. I reckon I'd say, that's the lady from the Golden Girls. <laughs> you were fantastic in that episode, Sean. You really were. I mean, you're obviously a great actress. I've went and done a little bit of a mini deep dive over the past few days. I came across this thing called Hell's Bells. My God, what the devil was that about, by the way? <laughs> oh, my God. Didn't know what I was watching. You were sniffing pairs of underwear, Sean. Uh, that's a really good question. I don't know. I don't remember. <laughs> the life of an actress, everybody. Sean was, you sniffed, you made three people take off their underwear, hand oh, them to no, you. no, no, no. Okay, 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 okay. Oh, now okay. it's dawning on you it. now. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I was teaching uh, screenplay writing and TV writing and webisode writing to uh, the master's program in North Carolina. They have this like fancy schmancy school there. I went there to teach for two semesters and this poor girl had to like make this short in a day or else she wasn't the teacher who I really thought this was unfair of him said she wasn't going to graduate. Oh, so we all chipped in to make sure she graduated. Well, you certainly did your part. Yeah, I did. <laughs> I was like, this can't possibly be my friend from the golden girls doing this. <laughs> you know. Tongue in cheek, by the way, it was quite funny, but I mean, yeah, I was, surprised as the scene progressed like what is going on here it looked like there was a rape about to happen i know i mean one yeah. of this the students wrote it and i didn't direct it even though my name is on there i don't know why it was directed by everyone yeah that's what that was you auditioned for the part of becky right in the golden girls yes and I have to say, you know, I got, I maybe I read for a casting director and then I get sent for a callback to read for the producers and they were happy and they liked it and told me they were going to put me in a fat suit. And <laughs> I was cool with that because it was money because I was in my 20s and I was broke. So to me, it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to be on the Golden Girls. It was like, I'm getting paid. Do you remember that time when you first walked onto set and met the cast? As I understand that you somehow knew Estelle, you hadn't met the other ladies. I mean, that must have been intimidating to walk onto a set like that, wasn't it? it yeah, it was. I mean, I knew Estelle because she was with my managers. And I have to say, you know... It was the most organized, cleanest, easiest 
set. These women were pros. And there was no drama. They just did their thing. And Rue McClanahan and I would, you know, run lines. And she invited me over to her house because she wanted to write a movie. I wasn't writing then. So I don't know why she thought I was good. But um, she was just this lovely sort of gypsy character. What I've been told in the past is that it was professional set. It was all about the work, not about the ego. I was told that the um, the ladies themselves, but not only the ladies, but the the whole car, um, the whole production team were all lovely to work with. But of the ladies, I was told that sometimes B. Arthur could appear to be standoffish, but not because she was rude, but because she was shy. What was your relationship like with each one of the core cast? Well, you know, I would say that I I don't. I, I didn't think B. Arthur was standoffish. I thought she was professional. Uh-huh. And so, you know, maybe someone could, you know, she was like, learned her lines, hit her marks, did the rehearsal, you know, did her job. And so maybe someone or certain people came on set and felt like she wasn't like kissy-huggy, but yeah. she was doing her job. And then Betty White was just so sweet and lovely and doing her job. And um, and Rue I had a closer relationship with. But again, we were all doing a job, you know. It was a very professional set. And you don't get that all the time. In the Golden Girls book that I read, I heard that they shoot it once maybe in front of a live audience and then again without one. How did it work? How did you get it shot? Um, they do shoot in front of a live audience and then if they shoot after, it's called pickups. Right. Certain things that the director, who had also been there forever, um, and had horses. I remember that about him. Um, you know, stuff he didn't think he may have gotten, he would do, he would do pickups. The main shoot was in front of a live audience. How yeah. was that for you? Because already <laughs> you've been through a hell of a thing. I know that you, you've described excellently this life of you're just an actor, you need a paycheck, it's work, you're auditioning, auditioning, auditioning. But with this one, you, you go for the audition, you get a call back, then you're on the set. You obviously have a table read. You've learnt your lines. How much effort did you put onto it and into it? <clears throat> and I'm also curious, what was it like shooting in front of a live audience? I would have thought that was very nerve-wracking. Uh, it was – you get nervous at first, but then you get on set and you're fine. Right. But once you walk on that set and everybody's talking to each other and doing their lines and hitting their marks and all of that, that all that jittery feeling goes away. And you just feel like you're home. I know it was a long time ago and you might not remember, but do you remember that audience giving you that uh, confirmation that this was a good script that you were part of? Like were you getting big laughs? Could you feel the warmth and the affection and the engagement from the audience? Yes, but my 
goal was to continue on. And, and you know, what you did with an audience was you played the laugh. Right. So the laugh is like a wave. So you don't say your next line at the higher point of the wave. You say your next line as the wave is descending. Um, I also felt really bad for the guy who played my boyfriend. Oh, wasn't he a jerk? I'm He's sure he wasn't in real life, but what a jerk. So sweet. <laughs> and really? sensitive. Yeah, look, they were doing a, a show about a character who was fat. And he had some pretty harsh lines. And he was really sensitive about it. Yeah, he was lovely. Why did you feel sorry for him? Were the audience booing him or something like well, that? Well, kind of. Yeah, they were kind of like groaning, you know. Well, he had some hideous lines. In fact, can I just let's let's have a listen to one of them. Jeremy, as long as you're handing out compliments, you haven't said anything about my new outfit. You know that's not very nice. Well, I'm trying to be nice. That's why I didn't say anything. And that's even, <laughs> that's not even one of the worst lines, Sean. Yeah, terrible lines he was saying. Well, you know, it was the conceit of the show. And, you know, more of a possible struggle for him to have to say those lines than for me to have to say mine. Well, he delivered them beautifully. He was very believable. I know that he was in some other shows too, which are well known over there. So he must be a great actor. But in the Golden Girls community, he is one of the villains, the one of the ones we love to hate. I know. I went to my first and only Golden Golden Girls Con oh, in yeah? Chicago last year. Okay. Yeah. Where all the fans go and you meet them and they put you up in a hotel and they you, you know, you drive you drive, you fly first class and Wow. And it was like the most amazing experience. It was just this outpouring of love. I mean, the people that were there, all they wanted to do was say hi. You know, get a picture with you. Yeah. You know, so sweet, so kind, so fun, so many drag queens, so fun. <laughs> And it was just a wonderful weekend. It, and it must be strange, what, like you say, one small job you did so long ago held in such high esteem, and I'm sure that you would have sensed it from that uh, event that you attended. There's such comfort in the Golden Girls for a lot of people. Comfort, literally. Uh, these ladies, these characters, including yourself, are part of people's lives. You help them get to sleep. You help them through illness. You help them through tragedy. I know. I mean, I don't know because I actually don't really watch stuff that I've acted in. Mm -hmm. So I'm a little a step away from it, but I do know that I've met people who start crying when they met me. Yeah. And yeah. I know I have an understanding that I guess like this show, the Brady Bunch and Terminator, like I don't know how I ended up in those things. But again, they became part of the lexicon, you know. Uh, I lucked out. That's all. I lucked out. So let's go back to that episode. There's controversy. And I know you would have heard this before. I'm positive you would have heard it before. The fan community talk about the hypocrisy 
of well, first of all, the the wall to wall fat jokes would that pass in this day and age? Who knows? But even in, at the time, the Golden Girls themselves, with the exception of Dorothy, made horrendous jokes at Becky's expense for her weight. Yet when Jeremy walks in and does the same, the audience, the Golden Girls, were all meant to turn on him, yet they were doing the same. Have you heard that that controversy before? Well, I think my guess would be that because they were the Golden Girls, because I played Blanche's daughter, it was an all-in-the-family kind of thing. Yeah. Where you could shoot off about your family. Mm. But when Jeremy came in, that wasn't okay. I do not think you could make that episode now. Oh, no. I don't. No way. Oh, you'd be cancelled before you even, you know, before it finished airing. Yeah, it was a different time. I hear your point about the, the, the characters being able to say those things because she was part of the family by way of being... Blanche's daughter, I feel like they escaped the criticism that Jeremy did because they were women, not men. Well, I think you could absolutely be right. And I think that that kind of fat shaming was happening. And I think people have sort of grown up and understood that it's not okay. Let's just have a listen, though, to what some of the Golden Girls said to Becky on that episode. You're Blanche's daughter, the model. (laughs) What did she model, car covers? (laughs) You'll have to forgive my mother. It's just that we didn't expect you to be this fat. (laughs) So, Becky, what brings you to Miami? My guess is a small barge. (laughs) Tell me all about Paris. Where'd you live? Where'd you work? Where'd you find jeans that size? No, no, Mama, it's okay. I may have lost my figure, but I still have my sense of humor. (laughs) Sean... Even yeah. listening back, wall to wall, fat jokes. Yeah, well, you <laughs> know terrible. They're, they're easy. They're easy. They're easy. Fat but why do I find easy. it so funny, though? Why? Is, is it wrong it's, of me? They're funny. Yeah. The women are funny. And the way they, you know, um, deliver lines is funny. And, you know, back in the day and even now, like with humor, if you got blue, dirty with your humor, they would say, well, that's an easy way to go. Or if you told fat jokes, that's an easy way to go. I have a, we have a a comedian here named Bill Maher, and he does a show once a week about politics. And he is always dissing fat people. And it's like, Bill, you've never had the problem. You don't know what goes into it. Now, maybe if you stopped smoking weed for a second, you'd be able to think about it. And I'm always yelling at the TV at, Je- at um, Bill. You were padded up, as yeah, I understand it. it. Yeah. yeah. 
Is it literally foam or like I don't understand? What do they do to pad no, you up? It's like um, they sew certain pieces of something to put over your butt, your stomach, your boobs, um, and it's hot. Ooh, right. It's very hot. Do you remember any of the dialogue that you delivered, like as standout to you? Was there any? As, a, as an actress, was there any piece of dialogue that you went, oh, this is delicious, I, I love getting myself into this part? You know what, I'd love to say that I remember, but it was too long ago. <laughs> That's I okay. sitting on the, the bed with uh, Rue and having, or Blanche, and having a discussion with her about... You know, she didn't like the boyfriend. Go out, do what you want to do. Don't let anyone hold you back. I thought that was a nice scene. But mom is always right. Mom is always right. <laughs> you and adopted then, also a different accent for this role too. Yeah, I was Southern. I mean, I adopted a Southern accent. I mean, I can do it. It's just something you have in your arsenal. Oh, I love listening to that. Do more I of that. Say more of it. You get you're getting me all goosebumped up here. All right. I'm looking for Catherine McMillan. <laughs> and she has the rights to a show called Heartburn. <laughs> and I want to take the show and bring it to an American audience. But she and Jeff have to talk to each other. So if there's anybody out there who knows Catherine McMillan, the woman who has the rights to aftertaste. Please have her call Jeff. <laughs> Catherine's the third guest in this podcast. Poor old Catherine. Catherine McMillan, we're still looking for you. We're I think you did try where, to call. Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? You never know. I will ask around. I'll ask around. I like saying that. There's only like 25 million people in Australia, so yeah. <laughs> I'm sure I'll be able to find her for you. Um, I know for a fact that people who guest star on TV shows don't get paid particularly well. Do you mind me asking how much you did get paid for that role on the Golden Girls? Again, I don't remember. I'm sure it was somewhere a little bit above uh, SAG. Um, Is it enough to not work for the rest of the year? Oh, God, no. Oh, really? Okay. No, no. You have to do a bunch of them. Right. Uh, almost like a full-time job in order to not work for the rest of the year. The people who get the bank are the regulars. Oh, God, yeah. I remember reading what they were on by Series 5 or 6 per episode. Amazing stuff. But, like, I don't know, do you get paid a couple of thousand as a guest star? No more. I mean, in the tens of thousands, but uh -huh. then you have, like, uh, your managers, they get 10%. Your agents, they get 10%. The government, they get 40%. <laughs> and then a business manager, he gets 5%. That's such a visual. And then at the end, you're excitedly waiting for your check and you I've got quite $5. disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Do you get residuals? Out, yeah, I do. I do. But the residuals I get for writing are much more helpful 
than any Screen Actors Guild residuals, which, you know, come in tops $25 at this point. How often? Um, Every quarter. Oh, my God. Seriously? <laughs> yeah. So- see, we've busted a big myth here, right? So Sean can't retire on the character of Becky for the rest of her life, as a lot oh, of people believe. God, no. No. <laughs> no. Oh, dear. And, of course, you participated in writing Encino Man. Did you write the whole thing or were you co-writing it or I part of the staff? I wrote you it. You wrote it. Yeah. I thought you did, Sean, yeah. Encino yeah. Man, for those that don't remember, this is Brendan Fraser. Was Paulie Shaw in that too? I think he was. He was, yeah. Yeah, uh, it was quite a big movie here in Australia. One of those, um, I don't know, it, was, it seemed to be in that era of that sort of film um, with uh, Jim Carrey and uh, a lot of comedians doing that style at the time. How was it writing Encino Man? Um, you know what? It was fun. I mean, you know, that's, that's broad comedy and there was a lot of broad comedy around that. Um, you know, it was interesting. It was the first movie I'd ever written. Um, I was learning on the job because I didn't go to university. Um, but you know, like Polly was my the younger brother I never had that was so annoying <laughs> and still is. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. He comes across that way. He actually had a little fling with one of this podcast's favorite people in the world, Kylie Minogue. He had oh. a very brief affair on the set of uh, Biodome. Oh, okay. Yes, and then she uh, ghosted him. And he still every now and then sings out, Kylie, please get back in touch. <laughs> you know what? He's a really good guy. I mean, with all the teasing and stuff, he's just fooling around. So as a writer of Encino Man, then when they're creating it, when they're making it, when they're shooting it, you're there at every step. No. Oh, you're not? Okay. No, I'm Encino Man. As a matter of fact, I came on the set one day and the first AD told me to get off the set. And I said, Did you but say, I'm don't the, you know who I am? I said, but I'm the writer. <laughs> and he was like, oh, okay, well, go sit over there. I'm like, all right. Jesus. <laughs> Come on, dude. I mean, things can go horribly right like that. And then I wrote and directed a movie that I had uh, developed up at Sundance. And... It was called, well, it was called Cat and Allison are having a bad day, but the uh, distributors changed it to, I think, you and I. And my producer, who had the money, had never made a film before, was 25, a crackhead, was drinking GHB out of a water bottle, and myself and the first assistant director before every day would rip pages out of my script so we oh, could get dear. finished in time. You know, she used that project as a way to act out with her parents. Um, so the finished so, product was not so great, I'm guessing. 
I don't think it was, no. What um, is it like, Sean, to, when you've written something like In See No Man or that project, or and you also had a, a hand in writing Son-in-Law, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So w- when when you finish writing it and you've – I know the process of writing, there's a lot of labour. Um, people have no idea of the attention that goes into the sequence of words and editing of words, and there's a lot of effort. When you see it up on the big screen, is it a strange experience to see how your writing has been interpreted? Well, with son-in-law, I went with my dad and my stepmom, but I didn't want to see it. So I booked out of there pretty early and sat in the lobby. And then my dad came out and he said, come back in. It's getting better. It's That's an ultimate compliment. (laughs) So I never saw son-in-law. So hang on, you—I've got to get this clear. You, because there's a bit of a pattern here, Sean, of you not liking to watch yourself or your own work. But in this particular instance with son-in-law, did you walk out because you were really unhappy with what you were watching, or did you walk out because it was too much just to have Uh, been involved in it? I walked out because of the political history that went on. Behind it. Ah, okay. So when we're watching it as a viewer, we're seeing the story, but you're you're remembering and recalling. Okay. This was also Paulie Shaw's big attempt to try to cross over from what we call here in Australia from Larrikin to Serious Actor. Let's just have a listen to what he had to say. I don't know. I mean, it's a a big step up for me. I've always been the loser sidekick in everything I've done. And uh, this is... uh, it's a movie that I think is going to appeal to everyone because I, I toned down the shtick that people know, know, me, know me from on MTV. So there's been a lot of screenings in the, in the, in the feedback span. Uh, I didn't like him at first, but after I saw this movie, there's a lot more to him than, than just that weasel thing. Shtick can't last forever. You know, I don't want to be on the Hollywood squares in 30 years in between Bud Bundy and Alf, you know? <laughs> Look, you know what? He's a really good actor. And he's got this project he's doing now based on someone's life that you would never imagine in a million years Paulie would be doing. And Oh, that's um the exercise guru. Yes. Uh what's his name again? Um Richard Simmons. Richard Simmons, yes. So I saw this little short film that they shot. I was very happy for him. I've gone to some of his readings where he's written, you know, scripts or plays. And he he did a good job. Like, if he commits to this thing, like, 100%, like, Jim Carrey, Man on the Moon commits, he's going to kill it. Well, you clearly think he's got the talent, which is great. Uh, what went on behind the scenes of Son-in-Law? What, what left that unpleasant taste in your mouth? You said politics. Yeah, it was. I, you know, mm, (sighs) you weren't kicked off that set too, were you? Well, kind of. Really? I mean, it was about friends betraying friends. So I had written this play. It had gone to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, and I was really close with a couple of people in the play. And the director and one of the actors decided they wanted to be writing partners. 
and I was working on son-in-law and I was like, and it was like fast. They wanted it fast. And I was like, look, you guys, why don't you guys write the jokes and I'll write the structure because they hadn't had a professional writing like gig yet. And they were like, yeah, that's great. We'll do that. And 24 hours later, I was fired off the movie because they told my executive all the things that were wrong with it. Oh. And they were my friends. So that was heartbreaking. It was traumatic and it was heartbreaking. And they also got fired and brought me back on. So the the very people that were responsible for getting you fired by complaining about the quality of whatever it was you were working on eventually got fired themselves. Yeah, because they were they hadn't written, you know, movie before. They they didn't know. They were and they just, brought you back. Yeah, they were really ambitious and they hurt me. I, I haven't talked to them since. It was a big loss for me at that point in my life. Because, you know, it's like you don't have any money and you are struggling. And all of a sudden, when you're ready for it, the door opens and you walk through it and your lifestyle changes. And instead of living in a shitty department in the Russian part of town, you're living in a much cooler apartment in the hipster part of town. Mm. I know that doesn't sound like a big deal, but when you've been struggling for 10 years, it's a big deal. And they were immoral. I don't know what to say. That was just immoral. And um, I've been hurt a few times that deeply, only a few mostly in relationships. <laughs> but what these two guys did was unbelievably wrong, and I was unbelievably shocked. And it comes across really clearly, Sean, that in your value system, loyalty, uh, respect, honesty are very, very important things. Everyone nominates those three things as important in their value system, but most people don't live it. They are important to you, though, right? Very. They're very yeah. important to me uh, in terms of people I do business with and in terms of my friends, but the people that stay your friends and remain in touch and you help each other with your pilots or they'll read my pilot and give me notes and I'll read theirs and we have lunch and those are, you know, treasured. They're treasured friends. What are you working on these days, Sean? <sighs> Besides trying to find, what's her name again? Catherine McMillan? Catherine McMillan is what I'm working on. We're working on you, Catherine McMillan. Yeah, Catherine McMillan. Anyone who knows her, she is involved with the show. She um, is Sean's destiny. She's Sean's future. Aftertaste. You know, we had a Writers Guild strike out here. Yep. And they're never good. The last Writer Guild strike, I lost a project at HBO and one at Lifetime. This Writer Guild strike, 
I had a project that I loved with the studio called ITV and producers. And we were just about to pitch it and the writer's strike happened. So my project went away. It is After a fickle world, isn't it? it? for a year and a half. Sean, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for taking the time to take us through your career. I love the fact that you're still so creative and still inspired and still looking for the next project. That's fantastic. Well, if Catherine McMillan or Rachel Griffith <laughs> don't get back to me, I may write a horror movie about my mother. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it would just write itself by the sounds of it. <laughs> uh, it, 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 it. It might. I don't know if I'd have to, like, really add anything extra except maybe some supernatural shit, you know? <laughs> Oh, I love it. It sounds really great. Sean, I hope you've had fun here in the fortress of pop culture. I've had so much fun with you, and I appreciate you getting a hold of me. That was really sweet. And thank you again. I'm going to go back to touching my feet now, if it's all right with you. Yeah, go feel your feet. It's a brand new love affair in my life. Uh, You know what? You got (laughs) to have one. (laughs) (laughs) See you, Sean. All right, take care. No, no, I will not have a nice day.